The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are not flying high on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 30, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. I'm Michael Kist. That's Benjamin Solak. You know the drill. Ben, 21 unanswered points, up 17-0, and we let this one go. It's a tale of two Carsons. It's a tale of two defenses. We were dominating the first three quarters of this game, only to crap it away in the fourth quarter. How you doing, brother? I mean, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. Always is. <laughs> Very interesting day. Very curious day to be an Eagles fan. Man, 98% which percentage by ESPN's web probability oh. metric with 925 left to go in the fourth quarter. <sighs> You're killing me. Eagles had just converted a third and three. Uh, they were up 17-6. to six. They had just crossed over into Carolina territory. Not making me feel better. This is... This is like one of the most frustrating losses this that is I 10 can 10 times frust- more frustrating than the Tennessee loss, for one. I agree. Deals are a much better football team than the Carolina Panthers, clearly. They showed it for three quarters, and I said going into the half, this felt like more of like a 20 to nothing game than a 10 to nothing game, not knowing how much that was going to bite us, not knowing how much those early self-inflicted wounds because the Panthers were not stopping the Eagles and the Panthers could not move on the Eagles for the first three quarters for the, for the majority of that. This was a game dominated by the Eagles execution-wise, coaching-wise. They were coaching the crap out of Ron Rivera, Peterson was, and then they just let it all go and we're left holding the bag going, what the heck happened? I don't want to say this because I have not yet watched the All-22 and I want to get a better look at that. However, I do not know, number one, what the impetus was that led Jim Schwartz to go very heavily man-to-man after he was very successful playing and and switching up zones for three quarters. And I also don't know what, if any, changes were made after Carolina's first scoring drive and second scoring drive uh, on the defensive back end. 
I tweeted out saying, you know, like this, what just happened to the Eagles defense, you know, those two quick scoring drives is something that could always happen to them if offensive coordinators were just willing to jam the ball up the sidelines because the Eagles don't have a free safety. They have Avante Maddox, who's not a free safety, right? He's a corner. He's not playing free safety. He's just back there doing nothing, which, you know, play callers are never going to go for that because they subscribe to like, this is what you have to do to win. You have to be balanced and you have to run your offense and whatever. And they don't just look at an Eagles defense that's playing Dexter McDougal as a nickel corner uh, mm-hmm. and playing Avante Maddox as a free safety and say, let's just pick on those guys. You know, why? For whatever reason. But I say this and then the response is, well, the pass rush isn't getting there anymore. Yes, it's not. Because the pass rush doesn't get there for four quarters. It never happens. Uh, The pass rush does not win every drive of a game. That's too much to put on one unit. And this is what we, whenever we have problems with Schwartz, it comes back to that. Like the, the solution to every problem that faces a Schwartz defense always seems to be get more pressure. But sometimes like pressure doesn't arrive or other times pressure arrives and the six foot five 230 pound dude playing quarterback sheds the tackle makes a great throw on fourth and 10 and then you miss a tackle and then and then you leak more yards that way and you compound the mistake because the guys on the back end defensive coordinator not holding their end of the bargain go ahead yeah no and 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 again on the penultimate drive down by uh down by three the carolina panthers fourth and 10 conversion uh and then a third and two conversion that went far and then a third and goal conversion uh, fourth and ten, you know, missed a uh, uh, missed sack, sure, but Torrey Smith very clearly, freely open with nobody near him. Third right. and two, they ran a pick play. Third and goal, they ran like spider to a banana. Like we're not, yeah. we're not reinventing the wheel over here. This is not that was the, that stuff. was like the most obvious call that you can make in that situation. It was this, basically the same call that the Eagles had in the red zone that Goddard had to work yeah, himself free out of. Yeah, because the Panthers saw it coming the entire way. It's an obvious play call that they just busted on. Which I don't know. And this, I think, is kind of why this loss is so deflating. When we lost to the Titans, we gave up a 14-point lead, 17-3. to We said, well, we know what the solution is. The solution is just got to execute better, right? Which like sounds like coach speak, but simply you, know, you have responsibilities. Do them. Fulfill them. Yeah. You know, let's not make stupid mistakes in key moments here. For this game... You know, to come back and to have another game where there's, number one, there's execution errors, but number two, there's just a a seeming inability to respond to adversity, especially on the defensive side of things. Like when, you know, we we, we held them up for three quarters and when they started moving, you know, like we just stayed in man coverage. We allowed Jalen Mills to get picked on on the outside. We asked Devontae Maddox, like, you know, Ronald Darby gets beat on that sluggo. Well, if there's an actual free safety played safety, then there's there's help. Back there, and there's not, right? And like, why? Why are we agnostic to these issues? Like, why do we? Are we just completely unaware? You, you can't be asking your secondary to be playing cover one man when you don't have a free safety. You're playing Dexter McDougal in the slot, right? That's yeah. why it's so frustrating. Is like you're having execution issues, and you make some good adjustments, and then all of a sudden, you know, the other team punches back, and you can't respond. Like you can't. Yeah. Where? Where? Where's? Where's the in-game changes? Where's the? Uh, the? The? anticipation of like the 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 counterpunch or whatever it's very deflating because to have execution problems to feel like they got solved and then just take another step backward when you were on the precipice of feeling like you were over them like that just destroys the confidence of your team it takes all the wind out of the sails of your of your of your personnel it's just so deflating is the word for it it's just discouraging you know like this is i can't say this enough this is such a good team they just yeah. don't play well when it matters. And the in the times that they do play well, 
you, you see that they're dominating things and it's not it's not enough. They're not finishing enough. And to go back to one of your points, you know, we talked about the the goal line play action with spider wide two two wide banana and the the sluggo route from Funches. That was the same exact sluggo route, the same exact area in the field where the Panthers ran it last week with Funches against the Redskins, and it went for a touchdown. And to see that same route happen in this game is super frustrating because it's just like, what? how are you not expecting these things? Why are you putting your cornerbacks in this position? And yeah, Darby could have played it a lot better. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but holy crap, man. And like, even with like, early in the game, and let's let's go let's go back for a second here, because this was a, a turning point that never was for me. So the second drive for the Eagles, right? It had all of the good and the bad from what this team has been this season. You had Ertz working over the middle with great protection. You had a reverse that throws the screen to the running back back where the reverse came from. You had a trap play for a nice gain, which they leaned on and was nice. And we talked about that a lot. You had a fourth and one conversion on a sneak, which is undefeated. You had Ertz defending his quarterback after what he thought was a late hit, even though Eric Reed slammed him a bit. You had a second fourth down conversion on fourth and five with Alshon Jeffrey with a toe tapper along the sidelines. But then you get the chop block that sets you up with first and 25. But hey, you make up for it with a 21-yard tight end screen to Dallas Goddard. Awesome. And then bad plays just kill the drive. Jason Peters allows a blitzing Thomas Davis on inside track for a QB hit and an incompletion. And then the swirling wins. Jake Elliott misses another short one, a 36-yarder. He can be forgiven because that was obviously wreaking havoc on these kickers today. But that's yeah. a that's a place where I felt that drive, the way you were executing, you should have gotten seven. It should have at least been 17 to nothing at half. And points like that, that you don't execute on, drives that you don't finish, no matter what the score is going in a half, 10 and 10 and nothing is great. But points like that, missed points, will bite you in the end if you can't hold up. And that's exactly what we saw happen. It's an entirely different uh, game, you know, if they finish on that drive. And they end up hitting reset on it. And it's nice having Michael Bennett there to create pressure on the next drive, get a sack and end and that drive and, and whatnot. But at the same time, these drives seem to happen too frequently. And one thing that I'll, that I'll point to, and I don't want to pick on Carson Wentz too much because he was 30 for 37, 310, two touchdowns. He was really doggone good for most of the game in some pretty adverse conditions. And they, you know, they catered the offense a little bit when they were going against the wind and all that stuff. But you're coming down on the last drive of the game, third and two, you have Wendell Smallwood in the flat, wide open. He's got the sideline to him as well. You can get out of bounds and stop the clock. Take the easy stuff. Instead... He throws it into double coverage and puts us in another situation where it's now now it's fourth down. We obviously don't convert there, but just just take the easy stuff. And that's why I said at the top of the show, it was a tale of two Carsons, because for the majority of the game, he was awesome. And then, you know, in certain situations, it just take the check down. I don't even think it's the tale of two Carsons. So number one, uh, I had the the awful effect or awful experience that every illegal streamer online will know about which is that we got to that third and goal and i was thinking to myself man like there's a lot of people on this stream right now and the, my video froze i did not see third and goal so i have no idea where wendell smallwood was or how open he is i didn't get to see it at all he was very open he just yeah which i just saw i just saw fury and a replay of mike adams really picking the ball off <laughs> i don't even think it's a tale of two carsons i think it's a tale of one carson who he is and who he's always been it was the 17 to 6 drive 
ball at the edge of field goal range in Carolina territory uh. where Carson's getting wrapped up by Luke Keekley and he goes to chuck a little, like try to save the sack, try to, you know, like Same thing uh, he did last just week, get yeah. rid of the ball, which he did it last week. And there was, uh, there was a play where he threw the ball where he got hit uh, in the near red zone where Zach Ertz basically committed OPI and it wasn't called and that ball could have been picked off. Right. And so, you know, before we got anywhere near the game winning drive, he said the number one thing Carson needs to learn how to do is how to eat a play. The number one thing, and we call it risk management. We've talked about it on the pod before. The number one thing he has to learn how to do is recognize when he's beat on a play, he didn't get what he wanted, and he's got to just get to the next down. Yeah. Because Carson devolves into hero ball right. very regularly. And when that happens, number one, you're taking away. You are, you are absorbing opportunity for the talent of Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar and Corey Clement and whoever you want to shine, right? Because you're not giving them opportunity because you're kind of stuck in hero ball. You know, he's in a third and eight, uh, he's in a second and 11 situation with that Keekly play. You just get rid of it when the clear blitz is coming, when a free rush is coming. It's third and 11. Right. Well, instead you got third and 18 now. You know what I mean? So like, you know, Carson, you can break a lot of tackles, but you got to be able to recognize, and it's something that comes with playing time. It's not something we solve, you know, tomorrow. You got to be able to recognize when it's time to just eat a play. The other team gets paid money too, and they're professional players. And and you've got to be able to just maturely step on to your next opportunity. And here's the thing with that too. And, and we always talk about the double-edged sword with Carson Wentz. He holds on to the ball a little bit more, but when he does it, sometimes there are shots downfield, and, and we're totally fine with those. Him trying to just like flip a ball as he's going down, that's not like a 50-yard shot to Nelson Aguilar. That's a simple play that you just have to move on from. That's not what we're, you know, that's not what we're talking about with the good and bad. That's just the bad part of his game. So there's those two plays, the third down, right? And there's the one where he tries to flip it away. I mean, at one point in this game, he had right, 15 straight completions. No, there's there's a couple examples of that of of the of the 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 poor risk management play that you didn't mention. But what my point was going to be was after I finished that was saying, hey, Carson had a fantastic game, he had an yeah. absolutely stellar game. Carson played out of his dog on mine. Yeah. Middle of the third quarter, I'm thinking to myself, stats aren't going to re- reflect it or reveal it, and it's not going to get talked about nationally because of it. But he's clearly, to me, clearly playing at a better level than Jared Goff. Yeah. Right, who right now is the drawing of everybody. Uh, Goff is playing very well. Goff's got a great touchdown in the field, and he's hitting his receivers and whatever. Carson's throwing dudes open. Carson's putting the ball you know, on top of defenders' helmets, only in places where his receivers can get it. Really, stellar play. Carson had two throws that, in my opinion, he just missed uh, that ended up being serious problems. The one was third down on the uh, on the three and out when it was uh it was a three point game. Oh yeah. Uh, and he had Alshon with Bradbury's back to him and you gotta put that ball up high and let Alshon go for it and he put that ball low and, and Alshon had to go through Bradbury for it. It was a missed throw number one. And then to me the missed throw number two was the uh was the near Eric Reed interception. Uh, yeah. uh you got first and ten at the oh, twenty two. Came out of his right? hand, right? They're weird, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. Like, I couldn't get a good look as to what happens. Maybe that was like one of those early throws where it just slipped out of his hand. Charles Davis on the broadcast was talking about the wind and your hand being dry, which is definitely true. But no, Carson played an absolutely wonderful football game. That That is what... That's why I said I don't think it's the tale of two Carson. I think it's the tale of one Carson. That's what Carson is. Carson is a incredibly accurate, quick release, and powerful thrower who can hit every throw that you can imagine on the field. 
He thinks he can hit every window, so he jams the ball to his first read. More often than not, it works out for him. Sometimes it doesn't. And his decision-making and his risk management remain far too volatile. And, you know, this is a stat I talked about a lot uh, before the 2017 season. Uh, after that initial 2016 season, the Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson duo were 1-7 and seven in one-score games. Mike, uh, that was actually that was after the Chiefs loss in early 2017. The Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson together were 1-7. and seven in one score games now five and ten so it's gotten better but it ain't even that much better losing close games is it's better than getting blown out obviously i'm not making an argument against that and the general idea is that these close games just generally regress to 500 right like because the luck of you know like a a few plays to to go here and then go there like if chris long's able to drag newton down like if he just like trips him by a shoelace Newton goes down on fourth and ten. We're not even having this conversation, right? So there's obviously these big tipping point plays in 21 score games. Carson has three fourth quarter comebacks attributed to him via Pro Football Reference. The first, uh, the 24 to 15 win over Atlanta in 2016. Carson Wentz leads uh, a touchdown drive with about 10 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter to go up, uh, and then eventually they have a field goal drive off of an interception. Uh, uh, that was his first fourth quarter comeback. The next one was against the Giants, the Jake Elliott 61 yard field goal. Carson's down 24 to 21. Uh, leaves a leads a 47 yard drive to kick a field goal. 24 24. They get the ball back, and then they have a quick 19 yard three play drive. It's the Alshon Jeffrey throw uh, against the sideline. Leads to the Jake Elliott game winner. So that one, there you go. Carson put together six points in two drives, and he actually had a touchdown drive the drive before that as well. So that was uh, 13 points in the fourth quarter in that game. And then there was the Indianapolis game, uh, which was this season. Those are Carson's three attributed fourth quarter comebacks. Now, I don't know how many other opportunities he's had for fourth quarter comebacks. I can think of three off the top of my head. The Detroit Lions won early in his career. Right. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens won 2016. Now this one uh, where, you know, I believe... Two of those ended on turnovers, uh, and one of them ended with a with a failed two point attempt. And one was uh, Ryan Matthews fumble. I remember which one you're talking about. But at the same time, you, you you take that information, and then you also look earlier in the game to why he doesn't always get in those situations, especially last year. Ben, there was a 17 play, 94 yard, nine minutes and 22 second drive that got us to 17 nothing in that third quarter. That I thought at the time, and it should have been was a massive backbreaker and put the Eagles up by three scores. They did it against the wind going that way. 42 yards of, of tight end yards on it. Goddard finishes it off by by finding space on that play action rollout that we talked about at the goal line uh, that Carolina had read pre-snap. And at that time, again, Ben, uh, the Panthers weren't the ones stopping the Eagles today. Also, Wentz recovered a fumble on that one, which was a big play. I also thought it was ironic. It was against Cam Newton. Um, but well ex- executed all the way down the field. You get aggressive on fourth and one again with another Wentz sneak, which, again, undefeated on fourth down. The Panthers would answer that with like a laborious 11-play, 80-yard drive that ate five minutes of the clock that they desperately needed. They even wasted a time out there. But when the Eagles get into this pre- uh, prevent stuff, like where where does the, the blame lie we we always want to point a finger and maybe it's not just necessarily one person but that drive right there should have been enough for the defense and I know we're kind of picking at Carson Wentz a little bit and now granted you know Wentz got him down there with the throw to Jeffrey I'm not picking at Carson right. I made it very clear. I, yeah no no I, I want to make sure that that's clear because for me that should have been enough 
of a spot. Like you said, 98% win probability. I just want to know, like, what happened to the defense? Like, because it seemed like they were sitting back a little too early for my taste. And as the old saying goes, prevent defense prevents you from winning the game. I think that, yeah, you saw on the on the, on the the first scoring drive for the Panthers in the fourth quarter, you saw more so those empty shells letting that stuff to me. And I, I talked about this earlier in the podcast. I thought in the fourth quarter there was so much cover one. It was just man. It was just man coverage. And we're just, you know, we're either going to rush five or we're going to... Was it off Do, from what you noticed? I'm trying to dig in more to that. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, no, they're, they'll sprinkle it off and they'll sprinkle and press man. I mean, they lost to rub and pick concepts all over the place. Yeah, that's they just true. lost to man beaters and crossers, right? Yeah. You saw there was a key third down where they lost to mesh sit yep. because they rushed four and they're just playing man coverage, right? That's funny. I do remember yelling that at my uh, at my television screen, but yeah, go, go ahead. Right. And so this is, uh, this is just simply to say that there isn't an in-game answer when the defensive line isn't getting pressure. When the defensive line is getting pressure... The Eagles defense is nigh on unstoppable, right? I've already, I already, I, I tweeted it out. I got ahead of myself and I said, Eagles got Jags next week. Jags just sat Blake Bortles. I mean, come on. Like this, this defense is a, is a paper shredder. Look at this pass rush. Uh, and then when the pass rush starts to fall silent a little bit, whether because players are gassed and there's not as much depth as there was last season or because teams are keeping in more blockers and, and for protection, which I think that Carolina likely did a little bit of that as well. There's no answer. This secondary is a massive liability. And it's it's very easy, given the situational things that occurred, to blame Carson. Because, yeah, if Carson throws it to Wendell, and I, I saw a screen grab of the play, and, yeah, it was pretty blatant. If Carson hits Wendell, we got first and goal, baby. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's no worries, right? We forget all about this. Uh, it's easy to talk about, you know, oh, um, I don't know who else people are blaming right now. The number one liability still remains the secondary. This yep. secondary is beat up. Two week one starters are down at positions in which corner uh, in which depth was already a significant issue. Safety depth has been killing this team since McLeod went down in the first week or first uh, the third game of the season. Since McLeod went down, safety depth was in the problem. Maddox had to move back. Corey Graham's got the injury. Now we got Dexter McDougal playing at the nickel. Rasul Douglas isn't getting time on the outside, despite the fact that he was a third round pick last year who should be expected to be able to start. Uh, DeAndre Hall, you traded for him. He's not doing anything for you. Trey Sullivan's got nothing for you. Secondary depth and then the the injuries are the number one biggest issue for this team, bar none. Offense is stellar. Run defense is stellar. Pass rush is exceptional. Secondary is the problem, and it's 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 been the weakness now in two big comebacks. Ben, did anybody uh, stand out to you as far as I know you do the weekly winners and losers column for BleedingGreenNation.com? Do you have in mind? Let's. Talk some positive thoughts here because the game wasn't all negative. I mean, we had some huge performances from Zach Ertz, who was, what, nine catches, uh, 138 yards. Alshon Jeffrey, seven catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Dallas Goddard played well again. The running game was was solid. They were hitting those trap concepts like we talked about going into the game that were going to be important. There was a good run-pass balance that we don't have to complain about, thankfully, uh, in this game. But do you feel anyone else stood out? I don't know what Michael Bennett had a great game. Jordan Hicks flashed for me. Was there anybody else that stood out for you? I'm going to save who I potentially think was a big, big, big winner until I can see the L22, uh, which, is, which is what we call in the business a teaser. <laughs> uh, so just make sure you listen and read stuff. I, offensively, Alshon Jeffrey. <laughs> Woo-hoo, man. It's... Uh, 
it's very difficult to think of a player who is as good on the sideline in limited space as Alshon Jeffrey. And obviously Carson and his ability to place the ball in a catchable spot is a huge part of that. Very narrow margin for error, very narrow window when you're up against the sideline. Alshon so regularly makes plays up against the boundary, which body control and vestibular sense, just being aware of what's around you, having a an instinct and a feel for where that sideline is and how much room you have and how to win with leverage and what you can extend to. I mean, he had three sideline grabs I can think of in this game, all of which more spectacular than the last. So uh, Alshon is going to be a big winner for me there on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, I think you you always talk about Malcolm Jenkins had another stellar game. Yeah. I had the big pass breakup on a Torrey Smith. He had a key uh, tackle for loss on a second and short, which are just plays that stick out into my memory. I think just defensively, it's so hard because defensively the game was so high quality and Ronald Darby was playing a very, very fine game yeah. for three quarters. You know, and you don't want to take it away from him because I think that schematically that I have, I've got big questions as far as, as, as how he was deployed. I don't want to take that away from him and I don't want to take away from him from one play, but yeah, I think the Ronald Darby played very well. I continually question the deployment of, of Wendell Smallwood as a running back. Yeah. I don't, I can't. And you know, like, oh, pass catcher and he had a couple of big runs and that was nice. I mean, as a runner, Smallwood went nine for 32, which is average of, of, uh, 3.6. Now I'm not going to say, you know, Josh Adams went four of 17. Clement went eight of six, you know, like uh, this is the, nobody was rushing very well, but Wendell Smallwood just runs into people. He just doesn't have good vision. Uh, to me, it's really plainly as simple as that. And uh, obviously, you know, Corey's got much worse uh, efficiency numbers there and saw eight carries to Wendell's nine, but I just don't really, I mean, Wendell Smallwood, I think is right now a nice receiving back and you should continue to use him as such. Uh, and obviously that's kind of how you want to use Corey too. So I get you between a rock and a hard place. I just simply don't see it with Wendell, man. Ben, uh, moving forward, like what does the impact of this game have on the team when you look at it from a big picture stance? Obviously it moves you to three and a four, which is not ideal whatsoever. Luckily, the rest of the NFC East is struggling to figure things out. Dallas put together a good game against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Interesting to see Blake Bortles benched this week. I don't think the Jaguars are a very good overall team, so we'll see the ramifications of that. If if Dallas is better than we think than we think they are, I don't I don't think they are. But for the Eagles, just for them, like this game, we talked about the Giants game being like a blowout that like we kind of needed just to just to feel better and just to kind of get back on track. This game was trending towards that blowout quality win, total win, offense, defense feeling really good, keeping the momentum going, and they just slam the brakes on that. And you wonder if that is going to be the question for this team or the downfall of this team as we move through this entire season. I'm not saying slam the panic button right now, but I'm saying this is happening way too much to a team where this type of stuff wasn't happening to them last year and that's a major difference right. to me i think i'm a little closer to the panic button than you are i'm close i'm close i'm close to it i'm yeah. just saying i'm not freaking right. out this, this is Listen, a- i mean yeah 50 minutes into the game it's still a shutout yeah you know <laughs> panthers first points come with 10 40 uh, left on the clock it's just just crazy yeah. to think about and again you know we said this again the titans game you know uh, jake elliott hits a field goal right and all of a sudden it's 20 to 21 and with right. an Alshon Jeffrey pass interference, Eagles got the game. You know, yep. like, you know, there's so many 
uh, tipping points we've talked about when it comes to close games like this. So, like I said, Eagles are a comfortably better, more talented team than the Carolina Panthers. Score doesn't reflect that, but that's that's the thing what you can very easily see. Now, yeah, it should just never get to that point. But yeah, the reason I'm close to the panic button is this: even while it's 17 to nothing, and I'm watching the way that Carolina is you know, throwing the intermediate crossers against zone, and then you know, letting, uh, not even testing the, the boundary down the field, not even, you know, looking to isolate and cover three zones the way like a Tampa team did or whatever. I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, Sean McVay is going to coach this team out of the, this defense out of the building, right? I'm thinking to myself, like, geez, like Sean Payton's going to hang 40 on this defense because simply you're not, and for whatever reason, you know, Ron Rivera and North Turner are just not attacking the weakness of the Seagulls defense. Now they, they, moved towards it and and Jim Schwartz gave him a little bit of help in the fourth quarter obviously but I think about the issue the number one issue that you've seen I think so far seven weeks into the season is an inability to adjust to how you're getting beaten on the defensive side of the football yeah and so what you're gonna hear in the Tuesday pressers is hey we played great defense for 50 minutes we just got to figure out how to finish the game and play it for the next 10 that's not good enough oh you know (laughs) <laughs> Wait, we're going to get, uh, you know, we gotta, we're going to try to get uh, Haloti Nada back, and we're going to get Cindy Jones back, and we're going to have more depth on the pass rush, and we're going to have one of our starters back in the secondary. And all these are very fine points, and absolutely, that's going to help. And none of it means anything if you can't adjust. If when the dam <laughs> breaks, you my, can't close my, it back up. I am supporting I, no, you I the, 1,000% I I percent of this take, Ben. I, uh, I do all that build-up work for you, and you get to bring it home? I thought you were What's setting, I thought you were setting it up. I'm not here. I'm not Rajon Rondo, man. I was Ben Simmons. I'm coming to finish at the cup. I'm so <laughs> upset that just happened. That was my line. Look, normally I, get, normally I get to be the setup man for you, Ben. I, I decided to it, turn that, the That's true. That's true. Okay, but don't <laughs> say I never did you one back. Yes, Mike, you you hit the nail on the head. Thank you. If you are unable to adjust as a defensive coordinator late in games, in in the middle of games, right, in live game action, not across the week, in live game action, when you're getting the pants beat off you, you're getting the pants beat off you. And there's not much you're going to be able to do about that. Coming into the season, it was something we wanted to see more of from Schwartz a couple weeks ago. I thought we were doing a really nice job seeing it from the Titans game into the Colts game, into the Giants game. It seemed like we were good. And we seem to have just stepped back. So now we're at a point of inconsistency, of uncertainty, where you just don't know if Schwartz is going to have an answer for the way offenses are attacking him, besides what we just need to get more pressure, uh, which, you know, kind of has a cap. There's a limit to that answer. Eventually, it kind of runs out of gas. You know, this Eagles team has dropped two multi-score fourth quarter leads, which is... Number one, a clear sign that they're a better football team than their record should indicate, because usually teams win those games, just, you know, probability-wise. Yep. But number two indicates that when the when the snowball starts rolling and they get figured out, there's really not much, uh, you know, this team kind of just, like, uh, withers a little bit in that regard. And we talked about Carson, you know, in, in, in one-score games in the fourth quarter, probably tries to do too much, and his record reflects that. Super Bowl-caliber teams do not do that. That is yeah, not a trait right. that they that's, have. That's the biggest issue is that you're going to be in key games down the stretch against playoff caliber teams. Yeah. And you're not going to uh, – if these issues arise, then you're not even going to have the sort of windows where you have third and two with the ball in the 15 or whatever it was. You know, it, it's not even going to be uh, within reach in that way. You know, those good teams will put you to sleep uh, when they when they, when they they get a hold on your throat. So what are you looking at? Well, the Eagles, four of their next six games are in the NFC East. And a good NFC East record is going to be enough to win this division. Just to follow up on that point, Ben, we've talked about it several times with the way that this division go- is going. 
this division is one with divisional games. And I, th- I think that still holds true and is going yeah, to hold true. Because everyone's record is going to be close enough yeah. that you're going to need to win divisional games because having the tiebreakers are going to be huge. Yep. Jacksonville, a team that's really struggling in London at 8.30 a.m. Bring me Cody Kessler. Yeah, so, you know, Blake, who's been really struggling, got benched today. For those of you who don't know, benched against the Texans. Cody Kessler, the backup, came in. <sighs> don't really know uh, what to expect of that game right now, Mike. I mean, Jacksonville defense, very talented, has been underplaying. Eagles' entire team has been very talented and keeps underplaying. Uh, this, this, Like, that's this, a very confusing game to me. And, and you know, Eagles are probably still going to be uh, – second uh in the nfc east with three and four jaguars are third in the nfc east right now at three and four you know texans go oh and three and are now leading that division at four and three jaguars just lost them like very weird circumstances for both teams and so there's a lot of desperation there i have no idea how to feel about that game right now and then after that it's cowboys at saints uh giants redskins at cowboys on your next five games uh i'm pretty sure the bye week doesn't even come through until after that Cowboys game, if memory serves, which memory doesn't usually serve me with the schedule. We've learned this, so I should go check. <laughs> Cowboys, Saints, Giants, Redskins, Cowboys. When is their bye? Oh, their bye is after the Jaguars, before the Cowboys. Right. Okay, so that's big. Yeah. Beat the Jaguars, go to 4-4, four and four, get a bye week, chill. Also, week nine, that bye week, I'm pretty sure that'll be after the trade deadline. So make your moves, beat the Jaguars, have a week to install people. And then you have four of the next five games are divisional games. And then and, and the other two games are the Saints and the Rams. Yep. So you'll come into the second quarter, the second half of the season, at 500. Yeah, so five yeah. divisional games left. Go win them. I mean, at 500, <laughs> along with the Rams and the Saints, both of which are on the road. Uh, and then the Texans is the other game. So, like, I, dev- I have zero doubt in my mind the Eagles can take that stretch at 6-2. and two. End the season at 10-6, and six, win the division, and go to the playoffs. Yeah. Like, that is very clear, easy likelihood. question is if they're actually going to do that or if they're going to putz around and lose games they're not supposed to lose. Yeah. In which case, you know, then, then we'll have a different conversation. It's very interesting because when you talk about what this team, like, uh, how do we make this team better? I mean, I don't think fire the defense coordinator is the answer, Mike. Yeah. Uh, it's probably just, like, get healthy and get some more uh, – high-impact players in the secondary, but there's not a lot about this roster you can really improve upon relative to other rosters in the league. To me, this is still, with with McLeod and Sidney Jones, Jay Ajayi, and Darren Sproles all down, this roster is probably still top five in the NFL. Oh, for sure. The talent's there. The talent's there. Right. The execution just hasn't been there consistently. And the head coach is fantastic, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you, you, man, I mean, you make it, you either question, you know, what you're getting from your defensive coordinator and his ability, or you have to say, okay, if Jim Schwartz just wants to kind of run this very cover three heavy defense, then we got to make sure that he has corners on the outside who can deal with it a little bit better. And we got to make sure Ronnie McLeod stays healthy. Like that's kind of what it's got to be. <laughs> um, so it's difficult to think of ways to immediately improve upon this team. I think, you know, looking at this, uh, this upcoming trade deadline and the Eagles have clearly been discussed to be very aggressive and you've heard corners discussed and you've heard wide receivers discussed. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, safety corner and then defensive tackle, depending on what Timmy Jernigan's like in the building, those have to be your three spots. Your offense is fine. You know what I mean? Uh, you put up 17 points on the Panthers. You really should have put up more. Uh, you had to, you know, like you said, missed field goal. You had a missed opportunity here and there and whatever. Uh, but I think the, 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 your big question is absolutely your defense. And that we got to be looking at the trade deadline heavily this week. That's going to be the important thing, man. Ben, let's hear what the gentle listener 
has to say about this game. Let's go to three words. So what we do after every game at BGN underscore radio, we ask you for three words to describe the game, win or lose, and we pick the best ones to read out. I'm sure there's over 200 responses at, at this point, so we'll try to get to the uh, some of the best ones or just the ones that we see off top that pique our interest. Ben, do you have that up? I do. The two most liked comments are from at SXRIC and at TomCristino44. Or, excuse me, it's from at CEEMO Green and Lonis. And the first is Arrest Jim Schwartz, and the second is Fire Jim Schwartz. And those are the two most liked comments, which I find very funny. And do and bring in whom? Yeah, it's true. At ND Watts says, uh, make the trade, which I don't know. Which one? Yes. Uh, at <laughs> Ryan Fernance says, season is over. And while it does not feel like the Philadelphia Eagles are uh, legitimate Super Bowl contenders by Season's any stretch of the imagination. Over. Season is not over in the sense that uh, a division title and playoff berth are still very much in sight. See, let's see, let's see. Oh, we got so many fires. Uh, Jim Schwartz fired. Get out, Schwartz. Fire Schwartz immediately. Uh, There's a lot of them. Another fire, Jim Schwartz. Uh, Oh, I've got three. Smallwood was open. Yeah, that's that third down. That was a bad one. At King Jordan says not an AO1, which is Carson's audience of one thing. Yeah. So is that saying like it's just not like the single carson show because i kind of get that one i feel like that's a little clever yeah i think that poor michael bennett i like that one michael bennett is second best uh defensive lineman besides slatcher cox and eagles team better than brandon graham at me no i mean he's been playing i I mentioned a few times this show and it's and it's a shame we don't get to talk about him more because he's been fan freaking tastic and was part of a a couple of big big stops for the eagles today last one is this one because we get at least two or three responses like this a week and always kills me Nick Atkins at Eagles LII Champs says, stay aggressive. They did the same against Tennessee. Got a lead, got conservative on offense and defense. Didn't take the short play to get a first and bad tackling. It's three words, man. Yeah. I don't know. People always give us these like big long responses. I never read them. Oh, wait. No, I found they'll end on this one because you said, who would we bring in if we fired Jim Schwartz? Jason Rivera at uh, camel toe in spandex i'm pretty sure is what his ad is oh boy you ready for this the hottest take ever said in the kiss and Solak show oh man he says steve spagnolo defensive coordinator oh wow bring in steve bring me steve god if they bring in spagnolo i'm gonna lose my mind spags <laughs> okay all i'm happy about one main thing I said uh, when I learned Jordan Mailata was active that if he got an offensive touch, because everybody was like, run him the football, you know, give him a, a, a goal line touch. Said if he got an offensive touch, I would speak in an Australian accent for the entire podcast. Uh, and he didn't get a touch, so I'm very happy. <laughs> Why would you say such a thing? I like making wagers on... Do you even know how to do an Australian accent? I mean, no, and I'm not going to try, but I would have looked it up and I would have learned. Ben, uh, all right, I think we covered it. Eagles lose 21 to 17. They moved to three and four. My family wanted nothing to do with me at the end of that game because I was very, very upset. But we shall move on and continue to cover this thing. Ben, say goodbye to the dental listeners in your best Australian accent. It's not happening. Getting an <laughs> offensive touch. That was a deal. Bye, gentle listeners. This <sighs> yeah. sucks. Yeah. Uh, thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio. I gotta say, it's not as fun to do the podcast when we're not winning. You know what sucks, but. Ben? I had all these, I had all these freaking notes. 
when we were up 17 nothing. I had all these great talking points. All this great stuff but to talk about. And that's what I feel about him right now. It goes back to the point of process over results and saying, like, we knew at 17 nothing that the secondary was still a concern and that Carson Hero Ball was a problem. Yep. And then the tides start to turn, and those two things end up being the major exacerbations. You know what I mean? Like, those are still the issues. They've been the issues in the wins, and they've been the issues in the losses, mm-hmm. right? And so what do you do to fix those? Well, number one, Carson just gets more time as an experienced starter. He loses games like this. He has bad reps like this. He sees them in the film room. He learns from them, and, and he grows. And that's just something that has to happen. Again, we're looking at 35 starts for the guy. And then the secondary, we're supposed to be wrapping the, the podcast right now. And then the secondary, you they're, they're trying to trade for folks because they know they need the help because they've got injuries. So, thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Show here on BGN Radio. Tricky one, tough one. Uh, we'll be with you for the whole week. Very excited for the film to drop on this one, to be frank. I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, and you'll hear those podcasts likely on Wednesday and on Thursday, or t- on Tuesday. On Wednesday, on Wednesday, we'll be breaking down the All-22. On Thursday previewing half of the Jags game on Friday, previewing the other half of the Jags game. Is that correct? Yeah, that's how the schedule is going to work this week with a BGN radio thrown in there uh, somewhere as well as a main preview show. Yeah, yeah, because Tuesday is going to be the press conferences. So it'll be very interesting to see what uh, Jeff Schwartz and Mike Rowe and Doug Peterson and the gang has to say about this one. Yeah, it'll be a fun one. So... Uh, that's the plan for the week and make sure you're of course following uh, at Bleeding Green and at BGN underscore radio for all of our audio and written content on the uh, the previous game and on the upcoming game as always I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak he's Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL it's K-I-S-T rate review and subscribe we love you very much and uh, we'll talk to you guys later this week we promise we will never blow a 17 to nothing lead on this podcast because we all we got we all we need Fly Eagles Fly or whatever. (laughs) Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>